Good morning. It's uh, I want to thank uh, all of you who either called me or sent me a text or sent me those uh, low-fat meals. <laughs> they weren't really low-fat. <laughs> um, all the text messages, the cards. I just really, really appreciate it uh, very much. <clears throat> it's hard to express it kind of in words, you know. Um, but when you're when you're back and you're you're able to to be face to face with people that you love and you care about, I mean that's what it's all about. And um, to think that you know this is just really the beginning that we have an eternity with our Lord and our Savior and with each other that are in Christ. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, right? So all these things that people are fretting over, man, we don't have anything to fret over. He's in control of all of it. Wanted to just uh, make mention of a couple of uh, <clears throat> announcements. First, uh, next Sunday, we will be having a special time in remembering uh, George and Glenda Morange and their ministry. We weren't able to do that uh, pre-COVID, so... We're going to do that next Sunday, and uh, the service itself will uh, be spent just honoring the Lord and how he used and still uses George and Glenda Mirage. Uh We really, really appreciate them, and uh, I go back with them a pretty long way, and uh, I have stories on George that you don't know about. No stories on Glenda. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that, but I've got plenty, plenty on George. Um, but next Sunday afternoon, <clears throat> from 3 to 5 o'clock, there'll be a, a time when we can come here and just um, celebrate his retirement to fishing, because I think that's what he's doing a lot of. But um, from 3 to 5 o'clock, so you can come during that time, anytime, and just... Um, I think just acknowledge to him and Glenda how much they mean to you and how they've ministered to your family. <clears throat> I know one of the things that George is really, really good at is writing cards. Um, his words are incredible. I could spend all day in my office and never come up with that. Um, I can talk to about anybody and I can uh, encourage you face to face, but my, number one, you won't be able to read my writing um, but we really appreciate them. And so next Sunday, we'll have a time uh, for that. Just acknowledgement of how the Lord's worked in their lives. Um, November the 14th, we'll be having an ICR conference. Um, we will have a speaker. That's him right there, Dr. Brian Thomas. Uh, you're really going to enjoy this. Um, really going to enjoy this. So I would encourage you guys to take the information you have, pass it on to people, invite people to come. I do want to let you know we will have visitors. There will be people here that follow ICR. Um, just like you know, some people follow different speakers when they're in town, people follow ICR. And so we're going to have visitors that day. 
I would encourage you to not only be aware of that, but let's make them feel welcome as a part of, of our body here. Um, and he'll be having three times that day that he'll speak. And you can see this, the subject matters there. Um, we will have a food truck in the parking lot. Southland Barbecue will uh, come and um, you can have opportunity to purchase a meal for lunch. Or you can go off campus and get your own meal and come back. Because you see the afternoon sessions at 2 o'clock. Okay. So uh, I would really, really encourage you to be a part of this. To set that Sunday aside. You can miss my Sundays. But don't miss this Sunday. Okay. It's going to be a great, great time. Um, I've got a little clip of Dr. Thomas speaking. And so I just wanted to show that to you right now. Okay. I'm saying that we have evidence in all these different dinosaurs, several different dinosaurs. This is from a Brachylophosaurus canadensis. And in its femur, scientists dissolved the mineral part of the bone away, and there were still intact inside that dinosaur leg bone blood vessels, red blood cells, still colored red because of hemoglobin protein, collagen protein. They found elastin protein. The proteins have a shelf life, and the shelf life is less than a million years. But we have the proteins, and they're still in the shape of tissues in some cases, still intact in these dinosaur legs, in these dinosaur bones. And it tells us that the bones can't be any older than a million years, unless the laws of chemistry were somehow magically suspended for millions of years. I don't believe this millions of years stuff. I, I have too much evidence against it from the dinosaur bones themselves. Guys, he's going to be really good. And uh, you might need to bring a dictionary with you. <laughs> Just in that short minute clip there. I mean, there's words I've never heard of in my life. I probably should have listened better when I was in school. Um, anyway, you come prepared for that Sunday. It's going to be a great, great time together. Um, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> I'm just going to read a small portion of this section. Uh, we won't read 17 through 34, but we'll read 23 through uh, 28 this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read. <clears throat> Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. I want you to notice that judgment is an individual judgment. We're to look at our lives, not at the ones down the street. It's our life. 
So he says, a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number, a number are asleep, and the word sleep there is dead. So it's very imperative that you and I take seriously what we do this morning. And not only celebrating the Lord and what he did for us, but in no way being a hypocrite, but allowing the Lord to examine us. Because there's no one in this room that's perfect. Me foremost. I need the forgiveness of the Lord. I need to confess my sins. That's what 1 John 1 9 is all about. It's about fellowship. Being restored to fellowship. We need fellowship with the Lord. And that's so, so imperative. So I trust that if today you've come and maybe you're not in right fellowship, that you would ask the Lord to search you, right? To show you. I have to do that before I come. But I want you to be able to do that this morning as we come to the Lord's table today. So let's pray. And then we'll sing of our Lord. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I've been reminded over the last several weeks that you were so, so good. You put us in places that maybe um, we would have never thought possible. But you do so because you're always bringing us into conformity to the image of your son. And Father, that sometimes those roads aren't really um, desirable. Oftentimes we pray those roads would leave us. But the reality is, Lord, that there are times when you're chipping away at us and, and you're molding us and, and it hurts. It's not what we expect. But I want to just thank you that your grace is sufficient. I thank you for this morning and I pray that all that we say and all that we do, that it truly would honor you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. We serve a God who is able, right? Oh uh-huh. 
Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and with 
beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Jesus. 
what must it be like to go from that voice to this voice? <laughs> Y'all can pray, pray uh, when Thursday. I go to an ENT, and they're going to try to see what's going on with my voice. They said they might have to give me a shot in my vocal cords. That part I'm not too crazy about. But, um, you know, we appreciate those that labor among us. And we have so many talented people in this congregation. I told Linda Bartlett one time I wanted to hear a prelude every week. She's so talented on the piano. I appreciate her talents. I don't know how Sharon plays that thing back there, but she does. We've got guys that play the guitars, and Kevin's over there playing the drums, and I was watching him this morning, and, and he knows exactly when to hit that baby. And it's nice. And uh, then we have those that sing. And, um, you know, Savannah, the Lord has given you a beautiful voice. And um, we certainly, um, I know for me, personally, to, to watch a young person, and you're young, um, to have a life devoted to the Lord like that, and to be up in front, um, helping out, and in, in, uh, singing, great encouragement. Thank you. Um, so I appreciate everybody that um, that leads and those men who uh, led the last several weeks in the pulpit. Um, you know, I'm so blessed to have so many guys that do a tremendous job. Um, it's humbling to come back because I'm like, well, they could just go on listening to those guys and they'd be just fine. Um, this surgery was a little harder than the last one, believe it or not, in a lot of ways. The Lord's been teaching me um, some things that I really haven't wanted to, to face. I told him before the surgery that, I hesitate to tell you this, but I'm going to. I told him before the surgery, if he let me live, I would serve him all the days of my life. Not that I had, didn't have that intention before, but, you know, when, you, when you're young, like Savannah, and you, you're, you just don't think about mortality, you just don't. You live every day, you go, 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 and you're like, here comes tomorrow, the sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set, and I'm going to have my day, and, and uh, then you turn 40 and something happens to your body, you turn 50 and something else happens to your body. And um, I told someone this morning, I think it was John Burnett, Lord, the Lord saved my life three times. I was saved when I was seven years old. I became aware that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And then he saved my life two years ago. Crazy how he did that because I was playing softball, running like, you know, when you're in your mid-50s and you're playing with guys that are in their 70s, you are the stud. <laughs> so I was like, I was enjoying those moments. Um, and then the Lord said, watch this. And I pulled my hamstring and pretty bad. And, but he slowed me down. And come to find out, my heart was 
not doing real well. And, um, and then this time, he saved me again because my doctor, when he looked at the initial test, um, told his, the physician assistant said that, I think it's only about 70 and we don't typically do surgery until it's 80 or so. And I'm like, okay. But the doctor called me, or she called me back the next week for the doctor and said, no, it's, he believes it's more than that. And um, so going to my face, that part of the artery that uh, goes to your face on my left side was blocked 70-something percent. But the one going to my brain was 90% blocked, the interior. I thought, well, that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> um, the lady, when I was in the operating room, they kind of, they, they roll you up, right? That's the only way I know to tell you. And I was conscious this time when they were rolling me up, and I was like this, and they said, look, Mr. Blunt, we're going to ask you to stick your tongue out, and then we're going to ask you to push with your feet against our hands, and we're going to ask you to squeeze our hands after surgery. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. Well, um, so I wake up, and they're yelling at me. Stick your tongue out, Mr. Blunt, and I'm like, oh, you know, and... So I'm going through that time, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm realizing that as I'm waking up, and um, I'm like, man, Lord, you, you saved my life again. Because, you know, 90% blockage, that's a pretty significant amount. And um, so I guess I say all that to publicly say thank you, Lord. You know, it's good to have witnesses to that, right? And I will say this, that... One of the things the Lord has shown me that has not been fun is that I'm not as grateful as I need to be. So I don't know how you're going to take that, and I'm just being honest with you. You know, we go through life every day. We wake up, put our clothes on, go do what we do. But just to get up, to be thankful. Um, anyway, that's where I've been, and I'm thankful for the salvation that I will have one day from the presence of the sin that goes on in this world. So when you come to the Lord's table every time, you know, when you're pastoring a church, it's like, well, what text do you go to, right? Well, everybody's thinking 1 Corinthians or a gospel. And I was praying about it. I was like, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I want to do what you ever, whatever it is you want. So I've been reading through um, Psalms I read periodically, and I was reading through Psalms, and um, I came to Psalm 51. I want you to turn there. I want us to look at the first four verses. We don't have time to look at all of them, otherwise you'd need to have brought five loaves and two fish, right? So. <clears throat> but maybe this will whet your appetite to think through this psalm. I just got a few things I want to share with you. <clears throat> I appreciate your patience with my voice. James Montgomery Boyce said of Psalm 51 these words. It was recited in full by Sir Thomas More and Lady Jane Grey when they were on the scaffold in the bloody days of King Henry VIII and Queen Mary. He went on to write that William Carey, the great missionary, 
asked that it would be the text that would be preached at his funeral. I thought, well, you know, you could pick a lot of text to preach at a funeral, but I don't know very many people that say, hey, Thad, when I go, I want you to preach Psalm 51. In fact, I've had zero people tell me that. But I got to thinking, why in the world would William Carey want that preached at his funeral? And I got to thinking about the overall scope of Psalm 51. It's about confession. And it's about fellowship. Because you remember what he says at the end? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He doesn't say restore unto me salvation. He says restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Have you ever been in a position where you've not had joy in your salvation? I have. You? Those times typically come when we're not doing so well spiritually. They tend to come when our focus is on self instead of the Lord. How many of you would admit to having a problem of focusing on self? These first four verses, there's two primary thoughts. In verses 1 and 2, you have David begging for mercy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then in 3 and 4, you have David confessing his sin. I've got some things I just want to throw out to you to think about. So let's read Psalm 51. The parallel psalm to Psalm 51 is Psalm 32. Which Psalm 51 would have actually chronologically been first. And you can tell that by the language of Psalm 32. But I want to read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. David says, now I want you to notice the title, first of all. A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And everybody knows that story. David was not where he needed to be. He wasn't with his men. He needed to be on the battlefield. He wasn't on the battlefield. What happens to people when they're not where they need to be? Trouble knocks at the door, does it not? Sin's knocking. David wasn't where he needed to be. In fact, one of the facts that you need to know, when Nathan confronts David, it had been months since his sin. Most theologians believe anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 months. After his sin... Does Nathan approach David? You say, well, what's the big deal about his sin? Do you not remember the story? He stayed when he should have gone with his men. He sees Bathsheba. He calls for Bathsheba. But then Uriah comes back because there's a problem. Bathsheba's pregnant. And what does David do? He sets it up where Uriah could visit her, right? Because he doesn't want the blame. What happens when a person is in sin. It can continue to compound. At one after the other. After Young people, listen to me. That's why your parents are always telling you to tell the truth. I used to tell my boys, tell me the truth. Because one of the things that can happen is when you lie, you're like, ooh, and then some questions asked, and you're like, 
uh, I'm going to have to lie again. And I'm going to have to lie again and again and again, right? And it's just like this endless thing. By the way, young people, that didn't just happen to young people. So this, that's the context of this psalm. Then he says, be gracious to me, verse 1, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, which Psalm 32 confirms. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Can I pray for us? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, I just want to pray that you would help us by your spirit to come away from this um, devotional, because it's going to be short, this devotional time, this time that we are separated to your word. I pray it would help us to um, truly consider you know, the sin in our life. Um, and and, and it, it's so easy to get caught up in that and, and really not deal with it. So I pray that we would be honest before you today as we come to a time of great celebration, knowing, Lord, that you paid the debt in full. So we hold our hat on that. <laughs> but, Lord, we pray that we would understand the importance of being in right fellowship with you as David came to understand. All these things I pray in your name. Amen. So I divided this up into two, just two quick points. Point number one, you have David begging for mercy, verses one and two. I want to say four things about those two verses. First of all, notice that David's appeal is from a man who knows he has sinned. You ever had something in your life where the Lord's dealing with you on it and you're like, yeah, I'm good. You ever had that? I'm not as bad as the dude that's down from me. I'm not as bad as the girl that's down here. It's very apparent from the language of David in just the pronoun usage, he understands it's his sin. He's not talking about Bathsheba. He's not talking about Uriah. He's not talking about Uriah's family. You ever thought about that? Uriah's family. He's talking about himself. And he acknowledges his sin before the Lord. So his appeal for mercy... It's from a man who knows he's guilty. He knows his guilt. Verse 2 says, According to the greatness of your compassion, 
blot out my transgression. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. So his appeal for mercy is based on the fact he knows he's guilty. There's a second point here that the basis of his plea is connected to the loving kindness of God. You say, well, but that's, is that really that big a deal? Oh, it's that big a deal. The basis of his plea involved God's loving kindness. That Hebrew word, loving kindness, has the idea of loyal love. You like that. Loyal love. Could you name five people in your life who have loved you loyally? (laughs) It's your worst moments, right? The idea here is not only loyal love, but covenant love. You know, we may not be able to depend on the love from our neighbor next to us, but I want you to listen to me. We can always depend on the love of the Lord. I like that. Did you know that the psalmist tells us in Psalm 136 over 25 times the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. (laughs) Man, I'm like, that's good stuff. So the basis of his appeal is is God's loving kindness And the psalmist in Psalm 136 repeats that phrase, the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting, over 25 times. What do you think he wanted his audience to understand? The loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. You know how we function sometimes? I'm talking from my experience, but I watch people and I hear people. Well, the Lord can't love me now because I've done this for the 50th time. Doesn't that happen? It happens to you. It goes on in here. The enemy is quick to throw out, oh yeah, the Lord may have forgiven you for those first 40 times, but 41 ain't there. Baloney. It's there. It's not a license to sin. I'm not talking about that. But I do think people struggle with this issue of, man, can God forgive me again? Answer, yes. Aren't you glad? Because I want to tell you what. God's word is written to a bunch of stubborn people. Just read about Israel. Same sin over and over and over and over and over and over. And you're like, man, Lord, how in the world are you putting up with these people? And then we look in the mirror and go, oh yeah. C.H. Spurgeon said this. Men are greatly terrified at the multitude of their sins. But there is comfort knowing that our God hath a multitude of mercies. You need to write that one down. And we sing in it, right? His mercies are what they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I want you to notice also in verses 1 and 2, in his plea for mercy, he says, blot out blot out look at verse verse 1 blot out my transgressions notice 
It's plural. And say, forgive me of my sins, singular. Blot out my transgressions, plural. That word transgressions has the idea of crossing a boundary. Has God clearly defined the yeses and the noes? That's a question. Has He clearly defined right and wrong? Then how come it seems as if the church functions in the gray? There's a lot more things I know about God that He wants for my life and then doesn't want for my life. I know what they are. I've been a believer for 50 years. 50 years. Ann Lynch and I share an anniversary together. She's been saved 50 years too. And she doesn't look a bit over 50. (laughs) As we get older in the Lord, what happens to us? We become more and more familiar with what? With our sin. And more and more familiar with His love and His mercy. But we also are fully aware of the fact He draws lines in the sand. He says yes. And He says no. You know what people want to hear? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe lets me keep on going and doing. But yes and no, it's like, rut row. He says, blot out my transgressions. That word means to cross out my sins. When I was in school, elementary school, which has been a couple of minutes, our teacher, one of our teachers, God love her, she would write names on the board of people who were almost in trouble. My name appeared on that board every once in a while. Use your imagination. Fab Blunt. And she would always tell us, if I don't cross through your name by the end of the class, you have to do whatever. And so it was dependent on your behavior during the class. But if your name went on the board, you were like, oh my goodness. And what did you want to see? Her cross through your name. That's the picture here that, that David gives. Blot out, cross out my sins, my transgressions. And then he says, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity. That word iniquity there is the word perversions. We live in a perverted culture. True? True. Young people, I'm I'm sorry. We lived in a perverted culture when I was growing up too. It's just now everybody knows your business. Believe it or not, young people, there didn't used to be a news 24-7, 365, Facebook, Twitter, all those other things that go with it. You actually had a life where you could be away from people or be with people and it was not put on the front page. Well, in our lives, 
there are times when we don't behave like godly people. There are times where there's perversion in our life. You know where it starts? Where does it start? Right there. And so we have to be careful what we put in our minds. Because eventually it's going to come out. He says, wash me thoroughly from my perversion. Notice he doesn't say rinse me off. The idea of wash here is complete. It's clean it all up, as one theologian put it. Clean me all up. The other day I was in Vestavia Hills. I don't get over on that side of town too much, but my doctor's in that area. And have you ever been driving where you're like, oh no, I'm almost out of gas. Well, I was almost out of gas. And so I pull up, and there's a guy. I'd never seen this before. He had a squeegee in his hand. And he was not only washing his windows, but he was washing his car. I was like, I literally had this thought, does anybody in our congregation do that? (laughs) Don't tell me if you do. That's disgusting water in the first place. But he was squeegeeing his whole car. He wanted the whole thing clean. That's the picture. David just didn't want to rinse. Lord, wash me thoroughly. Clean me up thoroughly. So in one and two, he's begging for mercy. In three and four, he's confessing his sin. There's just a few things I want to say about this. Let's look at three and four. He says, For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Why? Because he's the judge. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. First thing we see here is David acknowledges more than one transgression again. He says, I know my what? Transgressions, plural. David was fully aware of his sin. What does he say in verse 3? I know. I'm fully aware of it. Have you ever had anybody come to you and say, hey, you're sinning right now? You ever had anybody come and do that? That'd be pretty bold. How many times have you had the Spirit of God convict you of sin and ignore it? David was fully aware. He says, I know, verse 3, I know my transgressions. I know what they are. Which brought me to this point of thinking. As we come to the table this morning, you know what we need to ask the Lord to do? Reveal those hidden things to us. Lord, reveal the hidden things. The things I've put to the side. The things I've said, well, that's not really that bad because this person... You see, it's really awesome when you think about it. We are individually saved by grace. Right, young people, if you're holding on to the coattails of your parents for your salvation, not going to happen that way. 
not going to happen. You have to trust in what God's Son did for you on the cross as an individual. And did you know one day that we're going to stand before the Lord as individuals? So when we come to the table, we discern our lives individually with the Spirit of God's help. It's about a personal relationship. That's why we call it a personal relationship. David knows his sin. Secondly, verse 3 tells us David confesses that his sin is ever before him. You ever had one of those in your life where you're like, and you don't have to raise your hands, but where you're off on that road of sin or you're at a place where there's about to be a transition where you're like, yes, I know, Lord, but you're on that, right? You're going down that road and it's ever before you. You know what you're doing is sin. You ever had that? But you just keep on. Why do people keep on sinning that are believers? Well, sin's appealing at times, is it not? To the flesh. And sometimes I think people get to a point in their life spiritually where they go, you know what, I've got heaven. I'm good. I'm going to live for myself today. You think that happens? I know it happens. That's what happened to David. As I said earlier, it was several months after David's sin that Nathan the prophet confronted him. You know what the Lord's so good to do? Convict us of sin. What do we do with that conviction? Psalm 32 testifies about the fact that his sin was always before him. If you would please take your Bible, just turn there briefly. I want to show you this in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32. Now remember, chronologically, 51 would have come before 32. But notice what David says about his own sin. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, verse 3, my body did what? It wasted away. There's consequence. My body wasted away. Was David aware of his sin? The answer, yes. Did he know that he violated the law of God? Answer, yes. David was fully aware of his offense against God. Notice he says, I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Oh my goodness. That sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. You ever been in a place that was hot in the summertime? 
you live in one. But you don't live in Louisiana and you don't live in Belize. And in those places, people say Louisiana is just really a different country altogether. In a lot of ways, it is. Better food, <laughs> really good food down there, right? They don't know how to make a potato, but they can do you some rice. But Louisiana can get hot, hot, hot. Belize can get miserable. And whenever you're out there, it can drain you. It just zaps your energy. It's like when we took that mission trip to Thailand. It was a hundred and something degrees all the time. And you're out, you're out in the weather a little bit and you're zapped. Your strength is gone. You can't do much. Well, David says here that the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. Back to Psalm 51. I want you to notice two more things. Verse 3. He says, and my sin is ever before me. He admits it's his sin. He's not blaming anyone else. He's saying, it's mine. He, he owns it. Sometimes we might have a problem with that. So we need to pray about that. He admits it's his sin. And the last thing that I want us to see under this heading of confessing his sin is that David confesses that his sin is against God. Did he do what was wrong against Bathsheba and Uriah and the family and his men? Nobody ever talks about that. There was a lot of sin going on with David. But at the end of the day, he doesn't talk about the consequences. He talks about his own sin in relationship to God. He says against what? You, God, and you only have I sinned. Who laid down the law for man? Who's defined the borders for men? Who's done that? The Lord has. So when we go around and we say, hey, do you think this is a sin? What are we talking about? Unless we're willing to go to get the counsel from the Word of God. What does God say? Is adultery sin? The answer, yes. Is lusting after a woman or a man sin? Answer, yes. Is murder sin? Answer, yes. Is hatred of a brother sin? Answer, yes. Aren't we thankful for grace and mercy? One of the things you have an opportunity to do when you're uh, put on the sideline, so to speak, is to think about your own wretchedness and God's grace. I don't want any amens on this, but I'm a pretty wretched guy. You know how I know? Because God said this, and there's times in my life where Thad does this. You know, one of the ones that would not be labeled an extreme sin, which I've never understood all these categories. You know, one of the sins that I struggle with is trusting the Lord completely at times. 
Have you ever had that stroke? That's just me. What's the wisdom from Solomon? Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Lean not what? On your... I understand. Yeah, hold on a second. I don't like that part. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your paths. Look, guys, I don't know what's going on in your life. I got no idea. I got no idea what goes on between your ears. I don't know what you're thinking. Even right now, I have no idea. I know a good bit of you in this room belong to Christ. And I know a good bit of you in this room have had communion for years and years and years and years. I know one of the things that people seem to be hesitant about, and when I, when I say people, I mean leaders, pastors, teachers, is hesitant to confront congregations about sin. I'm going to say to you right now, I am the chief of sinners just like Paul. I sin. You know where a lot of my struggle is? In my mind. You have that? Or just me? I mean, it's like, it's like this race that's going on. And these squirrels are going around, you know? It's like when I was laying on that table and they wrapped me up and they had this doctor in there that was a neurologist. And she said, now, Mr. Blunt, I'm going to put some tape on you. We're going to keep track of the activity going on in your brain. I'm like, there ain't a whole lot going on up there. But you know what? Isn't it true that there's a lot that goes on up there? And, it, and isn't it true it's like a battle? Like, you know, you got one side and it's, it's like that against, you know, it's just like this flesh. It's just like the Bible says. Our battles against the flesh. So I wanted you to know that I understand where you are and please understand where I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But it is important that we would consider that fellowship. Because what breaks fellowship with the Lord is sin. Those are my thoughts for you for today. I hope it wasn't too irritating to listen to that voice. Teresa said, Thad, you sound like a creeper. <laughs> but she doesn't really mean that. Who's it? <laughs> she did mean it. So as we come to the table today, I'm going to ask that we would just have, you know, a time of just personal reflection. And, um, and then I'm going to ask the men to come up. But I want us to have that time a personal reflection right where we're at. So I'm going to stay right here. If you'll just stay right there. Just ask the Lord to search you.
Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Lord, I thank you for your loving kindness. As the psalmist says, your loving kindness is everlasting. Your mercies are new every day. Lord, I know I've been walking with you a long time in my life and you're still chipping away pretty heavily at me and I'm thankful that you're bringing me into conformity to your son, Father. But at times the lessons are kind of painful and a stark reminder that it's really easy to serve self and to be in the flesh in simple ways like pride like not trusting you completely I think that's been one of the challenges over the last couple of years is trusting you completely Please, God, help us with that. Lord, as we uh, come to the table today and we come to celebrate what the cross accomplished, Lord, I, I know, uh, I think it was several years ago, years ago, when one of my professors talked about the agony of the cross being the separation of the Father from the Son. Lord, I just want to thank you that you were willing to not only endure the agony of the cross, but the separation from your Father. I'm thankful to hear the words of our Lord from the cross, it is finished. I'm thankful to rejoice with the disciples and Mary and Martha to say, He is risen. He's alive. I'm thankful to rejoice that one day, Lord, you're coming back for us. Until that point, help us to be honest in our evaluation of where we really are. And help us by your Spirit to live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us not to compromise but help us to remain steadfast. Thank you for grace and for mercy. And all these things I pray in the blessed name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask that the guys would come down that are serving today.
I'm going to ask Buddy Seal if he would pray for the bread for us today. Buddy. I want to say one thing, Dad, before I start. Uh, I told you I always tell you I love y'all guys. Savannah, B, and all the guys and girls, thank y'all for preparing for the table of the Lord. Good to get us prepared for worship. Father, we do thank you for another day of life. We thank you for who you are. We stand in awe as we stand in your presence, that you're a holy God. You're a loving God, a God of grace. And God, we thank you that uh, you're always with us. You never forsake us. God, we thank you for your willingness to go to the cross, for your death, burial, and the resurrection. God, may we never forget as We've already heard the warning this morning that we come with seriousness to your table. That God, uh, all we have to do is ask for forgiveness. And you're always there to forgive. And we thank you for that. We thank you for, without you, we have no life. And help us to uh, remember that. We give you praise and glory this morning. Amen. After the Lord broke the bread, he gave thanks which is amazing when you think about the context of what was coming quickly for him being the cross. And so as we take this bread together today, we remember the body of our Lord.
There's so many hymns that I'd love for some reason. At the cross, at the cross was on my mind and um, where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart rolled away. I might could sing it for you. Not as good as Savannah. I wanted to read something from Matthew. And this is in the upper room when the Lord's with his disciples. He says, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. How about that day coming? So as we take the cup today, we remember the blood of our Lord that was shed for us. And before we do that, I'd like to ask Patrick Rosno to pray for the cup. Dear Lord, just uh, thank you so much for who you are. And that you made a way. And I just pray as we um, read today in Psalm 51, restore the joy of our salvation. And when I think of that, I think of understanding the price that you paid and the blood that you sacrificed for us. So I just thank you for that. I thank you that you love us that much. And so just... Uh, Bless this cup, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we take this cup today to remember the blood of our Lord that was spilt for us. Can be seen. This morning... We're going to end the service with a song, meaning this. I'm not going to come back up here. You got that? Because even when I say that, there'll be people look at me like, can I get up now? When the song is over, you may get up and be dismissed in fellowship with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. I'll stand.
this week, guys. Let's take the words we just sang seriously. You're, you're dismissed.